Hello London, we are ready for your vote. Hello, I'm Stephen Perkins and this is Douzepoir, the Eurovision celebration podcast coming to you from the Binge Watch family. As I'm sure you've all heard many times this year, Loreen's win in Liverpool was notable for two main reasons, because she took two triumphs away from the good people of Ireland. Up until this year's contest, Ireland held the record for the highest number of wins at Eurovision with seven, a record they now have to share with Sweden, and they also have the distinction of having the only artist to have won the competition twice as a singer, and Johnny Logan now has to share that with Loreen. So while Ireland's light may have diminished at Eurovision in recent years, only qualifying for the final once in their last nine attempts, with Brian O'Shaughnessy's Together, which finished 16th in 2018, there was a time when Ireland were the nation to beat at Eurovision. They won the contest five times in the 1990s, literally half of the contests in that decade, and three of them in an unbroken streak. To the extent that there remains a much-loved urban myth about them actively trying to lose the contest because they couldn't afford to keep hosting it every year. Interestingly, hosting Eurovision did almost bankrupt RTE once, but it wasn't during the 90s. It was actually the first time they hosted, in 1971, after Dana won with all kinds of everything. Now this was the point where RTE was already having some financial problems, and they decided to upgrade their broadcasting equipment a year earlier than planned in order to allow them to broadcast Eurovision in colour at a cost of around £200,000. Unfortunately, that meant that staff salaries were gutted and programme budgets were slashed, and that was a very unpopular move within the organisation, given that only around 1% of Irish viewers at the time actually had a colour TV set. But, of course, as is often the case with Eurovision, the gamble proved to be a huge success for the broadcaster and generally paid off for itself in terms of tourism and international attention, and certainly didn't discourage Ireland from racking up another six wins over the next 25 years. And while Ireland may have lost its way at Eurovision lately, in the 90s they had the competition down to a fine art, so I thought it only right and fair to pay a little tribute to them with a closer look at that era. So after Johnny Logan landed his two victories in the 80s, first of all with What's Another Year in 1980, and then with Hold Me Now in 1987, which is for my money the better of his two songs, and indisputably the better of his two haircuts, the next big moment for Ireland came in Malmö in 1992, with Linda Martin and the song Why Me? which was coincidentally also written by Johnny Logan. It wasn't Linda's first time at Eurovision either, as she'd previously represented Ireland in 1984 with the rock ballad Terminal 3, where she'd narrowly lost to Harry's and Diggy Lou Diggy Lay by a margin of seven points. So, having originally lost to Sweden, Linda went on to win in Sweden, which feels kind of poetic to me, and that's rather nice. She beat the UK's Michael Ball by 16 points, securing Ireland's fourth victory, and also claiming a record which weirdly Ireland doesn't shout about quite so much, becoming the oldest woman ever to win the contest at the age of 40. Now, following Linda's victory, Ireland was set to host in 1993, and having hosted in Dublin on the previous three occasions, you might expect the capital city to be hosting once again. But you'd be wrong. In fact, 1993 was a year that would go down in history, and is a contest I'm determined to devote an entire episode to at some point in the future. It was held in Mill Street, County Cork, a town of 1,500 people, which remains the smallest town ever to host Eurovision. It all came about thanks to a particularly shrewd piece of outside-the-box thinking from one Noel Duggan, owner of the Green Glens Arena in Mill Street, who contacted RTE on the night of Linda Martin's victory and offered them the free use of his venue, which they readily accepted. At the time, it was predominantly used as an equestrian centre, but it was more than big enough to hold the contest, with a little bit of help from the nearby town of Killarney, which hosted the contestants and delegates. The local railway station got a substantial upgrade out of it too, and many of the local businesses benefited hugely. 
Meanwhile, BBC newsreader Nicholas Witchell almost sparked an international incident when he asked Mr Duggan live on air how he felt about the contest being held, quote, in a cow shed in Ireland. Noel Duggan quite rightly corrected him as he pointed out, it was a horse shed, not a cow shed. That year, Ireland's engine was Neve Kavanagh, with the song In Your Eyes, a stirring ballad, and they swept to victory once again, with the United Kingdom Sonia in second place, meaning we had exactly the same two countries in the top two as the year before. So Ireland had pulled off back-to-back wins with powerful voiced women singing emotional ballads. So you could say they've established a bit of a winning formula here, right? Well, yes and no, but we'll get to that in a minute. 1994 sees us back on familiar territory in Dublin at the Point Theatre. Now, 1994's Eurovision is also a fairly historically significant one, but perhaps not so much for any of the songs themselves, unless you count Poland cheating by singing their dress rehearsal performance, which got seen by the juries, in half of it in English. But the main reason this contest was memorable was because it was the first time the same country has staged two consecutive Eurovisions, and also because of the Interval Act. This was indeed the year that launched Riverdance on the World. Now, having previously won twice with solo female artists and power ballads, Ireland went in entirely the opposite direction this year, sending Paul Harrington and Charlie McGettigan with the sombre, nostalgic rock and roll kids. I'm going to be honest here. I don't like this song. I didn't like it in 1994, and I still don't like it now. I'd assume that I'd at least partially invented the lyrics, we were the rock and roll kids and rock and roll was all we did, the way you do when you can only kind of half remember the words to something and you're just playing it in your head. So I was quite surprised to go back and discover that they were, in fact, the official lyrics. Clearly, the jury saw something in this track that I didn't, because Ireland won by a landslide, 60 points clear of their nearest rival, that aforementioned cheater, Edita Gorniak of Poland. And this gave Ireland another record that has yet to be beaten, the first time any country has won three consecutive contests at Eurovision. So it was back to Dublin again in 1995, Ireland's third year hosting in a row, another record, and most likely a point where everyone involved was hoping to avoid a fourth consecutive win, not only to ease the pressure on RTE, but also to avoid the contest potentially reaching a point of predictability that could permanently damage its reputation. It's probably no coincidence that that year Ireland put themselves on second, the position that nobody has ever won the contest from, and that entering that year Eddie Friel was in a real no-win situation. It was in everybody's best interest for him to lose with Dreamin', a sweet old-fashioned ballad which is quite lovely, but probably not the sort of song you're going to remember very much by the time Song 23 rolls around. That year Ireland only scored 44 points and finished 14th, and the top spot went to Norway's Secret Garden with Nocturne, a haunting, and dare I say a little bit Celtic-tinged ballad that consisted primarily of a violin solo played by Irish musician Finula Sherry. So it seems that even when Ireland weren't winning the contest as a nation, they were still instrumental, if you'll pardon me that pun, in a song that did win. Now this meant that Ireland got a break from hosting in 1996, and we all decamped to Oslo, and that year Ireland sent Amar Quinn with The Voice, probably my favourite of all of Ireland's winning songs from the 1990s. In a direct contrast to the previous year's winner, where the singing was almost incidental, this entry was very much all about the voice, with Quinn's clear, crisp tones ringing out above the backdrop of an ethereal, haunting tune. Ireland won once again, and it wasn't close. They were 48 points clear of Norway in second place, and saw that we'd be heading back to Dublin one more time in 1997. We were at the Point Theatre once again, which now holds its own record as the only venue to host Eurovision three times. And this was to be Ireland's final time hosting the contest, at least for now. Their entry was Mysterious Woman by Mark Roberts, a piano-led ballad which brought home a very respectable second-place finish with 157 points, but was never a threat to that year's winner Love Shine a Light by Katrina and the Waves for the United Kingdom, with its landslide 227-point victory. But Mark did get 12 points from the UK. 
That was arguably the end of Ireland's domination of the contest. They've yet to reach the top 5 again, and they haven't reached the top 10 since Jedwood in 2011. So what was the reason for Ireland's success in the 90s? Well, my personal distaste for rock and roll kids aside, all of their winners were cracking tunes and they were clearly tapping into the zeitgeist in some way or other, often blending the past with the present to great effect. There is potentially another thing that they had in their corner, which is that during the 90s, the rule was still in place dictating that each nation had to submit their entry in one of the country's official languages, and Ireland was one of the few countries able to perform in English, a clear advantage as evidenced by the fact that it's become the language of choice for the majority of entries since that rule was dropped. The UK's dominance also started to tail off around the same time, albeit a little earlier than Ireland's, and notably the one win that broke Ireland's streak of four in that time was a borderline instrumental with hardly any singing in it at all. I still remember an angry letter to the Radio Times the following week asking if it was the Eurovision Tune Contest now. So, once we get to 1999 and the native language rule was dropped, that particular leg up was lost to Ireland. And there was also another rule change around that time that we should probably consider. 1998 onwards saw the switch to televoting rather than jury voting, which may have also had an impact. But ultimately, it's probably just the changing face of the competition. In the late 90s, the competition was opening up to a wider world, more countries were taking part, meaning a more diverse set of tastes in the voting, and you could also argue that Ireland, not unlike the UK, never quite managed to move on from its own golden era and properly understand what it takes to succeed at Eurovision in the 21st century. So, could Ireland come back for a record-breaking 8th win? Well, stranger things have happened, but it seems that they have a mountain to climb. Apparently, the searching process at RTE these days is outdated, and certainly their entries in recent years have seemed, well, let's say a little bit underfunded. But hey, anything is possible at Eurovision, and perhaps Sweden coming for their crown will light a fire under Ireland once again. That's all for this week. Thank you so much for listening. I will be back in a fortnight with another trip down memory lane. And in the meantime, don't forget to follow us at bingewatch underscore pod on Twitter, subscribe via your podcast platform, and maybe even leave us a review if you're feeling in a generous mood. Until next time, good night Europe and good morning Australia. Just, 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 just.